High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. We'll go to John chapter 20, if you will, with me. I want to share with you uh, this morning, really quickly, a message I call frustrated faith. Uh, how many of you know that faith is important in the life of a believer? I said, how many know faith is important in the life of a believer? Amen. Uh, faith is powerful. Faith can move mountains is what the Bible says in Matthew 17. Faith gives us the victory is what we see in, in 1 John. Hebrews 11 even has what we call the hall of faith. How many of you ever read about the hall of faith before? And we see these, uh, these figures like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, uh, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all of these incredible vital figures. Faith is something that should be vital in the life of every single believer. If we want to just really get down to where the rubber meets the road, we're not even who we are without faith. We can't really even be a Christian without faith. To even the entry point into our faith, so to speak, <laughs> is to have faith. The entry point into what we believe comes through the door of faith. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that. For by grace you've been saved through through what? Through faith. To abandon the concept of faith is to abandon who we are. A life absent of faith will end up being a life that is consigned to defeat. You show me someone who is perpetually living in defeat in their life, and I will show you someone who needs an injection of faith in their life. Because if we are consistently and constantly living in defeat, we aren't really living by faith because faith is the victory. So if we are not living in victory somewhere in our lives we have allowed uh, uh, we have allowed an absence of faith to infiltrate our lives and become something that causes us to live in a state of defeat now with that all being said we would all in this room be lying if we didn't say that we've all had moments where our faith has been frustrated where our belief has been tested Dad's been saying it a lot over the past couple of years and something we've been saying just as a church, a church body that Jesus heals, Jesus saves, Jesus delivers. Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers. How many believe that? Amen. And how many have ever been in a situation where when you're facing something, you have actually questioned and wondered to yourself in the middle of the situation, is it actually the will of God? Is it actually his plan to heal, save, and deliver? Come on, let's be real. Right? I, I think one of the biggest disservices we do as Christians and as believers, and especially people who are leaders, is to put on this facade like we've never had a struggle, like we've never had a question, like we've never had a problem, like we never walked away from something scratching our head going, I have no clue why in the world it went that way. That's not the way it was supposed to go. Guess what? Even pastors and believers have gone through situations where we have been frustrated where we have been through difficulty, where we, I know, where we believed for something and what we believe for, maybe we haven't seen it yet. Or maybe we didn't see it in the way that we expected that we would see it. We all have been there. 
And one of the, the greatest disservices we do is to act like everyone in Scripture is a, some sort of superhero that never went through problems themselves. Like they weren't human beings. As a matter of fact, even in Hebrews 11, which I mentioned earlier, which we call the Hall of Faith, uh, uh, traditionally is actually a kind of a good example of that, right? Hall of Faith is very much a, it's a play on like a Hall of Fame, right? It's basketball season. Basketball's going on right now uh, in the NBA still. No college basketball is over. But I looked up some statistics today, this morning, actually, that I thought were interesting. Uh, I didn't even dig into how, what percentage of high school players end up in college, but it's very low, very low. Of, of Division One uh, power, or not, not power five, but of Division One uh, college basketball athletes, the amount of those guys that ever end up playing a single minute of professional basketball, not NBA, just professional basketball, period, like around the world, which if you don't know, there are leagues around the entire world of professional basketball, is less than 2%. Players that play D1 college basketball end up playing a single minute of professional basketball. That's already, you're, you're already in an elite group. If you just play college basketball, that's pretty elite, right? The best college, or the, the, the worst team, uh, worst player on, on a mediocre team in college basketball could smoke most people, right? If they showed up at the local gym, everybody would think they were Michael Jordan for the most part. Less than 2% of those people ever end up playing professional basketball. Of the people that end up in the NBA, less than 2% of the people who go in the NBA end up in the Hall of Fame. It is an incredibly elite thing to end up in the Hall of Fame. But listen, and this, this is where I'm going with this. Y'all follow me here. What I'm saying is whenever we even call something the Hall of Faith, we almost make it this unattainable thing. Like we can't, like what Moses and Abraham and, and Enoch did, that's just like off the charts and we can't really ever hope to be that. I can't ever hope to be what somebody who's in a professional hall of fame is. That day passed me a long time ago. Nobody in this room can hope to be what a, a, a Joe Montana in the NFL or what, I mean, let's use a more, let me use one a little more modern. He may, he's not in there yet, but. We know he's going to be. Nobody in this room is Tom Brady. You might can tear it up on the schoolyard, but you're not Brady. Right? You might can tear it up on the court, but you're not Jordan. But you are called to live in faith like Abraham lived in faith. And you are called to live in faith like Enoch lived in faith. As a matter of fact, can I say this? I believe that you're called to even live at a higher place because the Holy Spirit indwells within you and he did not within them. Right? You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. You are called to live at a high level of faith. Don't excuse our low living simply because we feel like we can't attain it. You can attain faith and you can live victorious in life. However, once again, even looking at these figures, once again, we like to kind of gloss over some of their moments where they went through difficulty and frustration. All of them went through difficulty. All of them went through frustration. There were times God told them to do something and they did the exact opposite of what God told them to do. Why? Because they didn't have faith to believe God was going to do what he said he was going to do. It's that simple. They weren't just being obstinate. It's that what he told them to do seemed so big that they thought there's no way I can do it. We've all been there before. We've all been there. So we've all been in these situations where our faith has been frustrated. Where we feel like we failed. 
And I want to look today kind of in the shadow of the resurrection. I want to look at this in John chapter 20. And I want to really, for you to understand today that even if you're frustrated, Jesus has not abandoned you. John chapter 20, verse 19, it says this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now get that. I want you to really get that, okay? When he showed him his hands and his sides, then they were glad. They were glad whenever they saw the evidence that that was actually Jesus and not an imposter. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, so Jesus said to, the, said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, get this, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, not that moment, not the next day, not three days later, but after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it to my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Stop there. Here we read about Thomas, the twin. It's called the twin and his reaction to the resurrection. And we read this ourselves today in the year 2023. And we read Thomas and we go, Thomas, how could you? Thomas, how could you be of so little faith? Thomas, why did you doubt? Thomas, why in the world did you not just stand and believe whenever Peter and James and John said Jesus was alive? You just went, I need to see it for myself. Oh, Thomas, Thomas, you have failed so terribly, Thomas. And we completely ignore the context of Thomas's life. And also when we've done things like that, and a lot of times even more unbelieving than Thomas did. Y'all with me this morning? So let's give a little bit of context for Thomas's life. Thomas left everything in his life to follow Jesus. He believed so much that Jesus was who he said he was, that he abandoned everything in his life, that he left his business, that he left everything he knew, and he committed and pledged himself to following Jesus, right? Now, they didn't have a full understanding or concept of what they knew Jesus or what Jesus was going to do. As a matter of fact, they really believed Jesus was coming to overthrow Rome and establish a kingdom right there, uh, then and there in the natural. And that's why Jesus is always telling them, Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're saying. That's why he's always explaining to them, this is what I'm saying to y'all. And they still miss it. Jesus told them, I'm going to have to be killed. They're going to lay me in a tomb, but I'm coming out again. And still they don't quite get it. Has the Lord ever told you something and 
Later on, you realized you didn't quite get it. Or you may not have understood the interpretation of what he was actually saying to you. This group is so sure that he's going to establish his kingdom that they're arguing over who's going to sit on his left and his right side in the kingdom. They are so persuaded of this that they've pledged their life to this man. And then, in their eyes, disaster strikes. What we celebrated a couple weeks ago. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is beaten. Jesus is crucified. And Jesus and his body are laid in a tomb. And everything that they had put their hopes, everything they had put their dreams in, everything they had believed for, their future that they knew was going to happen, suddenly seemed to vanish before their eyes. And they are left completely alone, absent of what they believed was going to be their future. Absent of the one that they had invested everything in their lives into. Not only did he die, but he went with them willingly. He didn't even try to put up, he didn't run, try to run away. He didn't try to put up a fight. He just went with them and let them do this. And they're heartbroken. They're in a place where they just feel like their dream has been completely ripped from them. They feel like their future has been destroyed. And we want to get on to Thomas for being a little bit frustrated. We've all been frustrated before. We've all had moments in our life where we went, God, I don't understand what's happening right now. This is not what you said. This is not what I thought. This is not the way it was supposed to go. This was not what I was supposed to be living right now in this moment. But yet, here I am, and I feel like you are completely absent in the midst of the situation. Come on, can we be real? You ever felt like God wasn't there when you needed him to be there? The good news is this. Even if you don't feel like he's there, he's still there. Even if you feel like it's the end, the story's not over. Because even though Thomas felt like it was the end, even though the other 10 felt like it was the end, Jesus three days later came out of the grave and he said, the story is not finished yet. So even in the midst of your frustration, understand your story is not finished yet. Even in the midst of whenever you feel like your future has been ripped from you, the story is not over yet. Even whenever you feel like everything that you hoped for has completely crumbled and it has been destroyed, your future and the story is not over yet. I know you're frustrated right now and I'm not standing here to rebuke you for your frustration. I'm standing here to tell you you can take hope because the story's not over. The story's not over, and he's not finished with your situation. So they were, uh, they were in this situation, right? And he, Jesus uh, arises from the grave. He comes back from the dead. He shows up to his disciples, but one of them isn't there to see it. Talk about bad timing if you're Thomas. And, and we don't even know why Thomas wasn't there. The different theologians and historians have, have, have talked about what probably, or what they believe probably happened. You just remember, they've left their lives, they've left their businesses, they've left everything in order to follow Jesus. And what a lot of, a lot of people believe happened is Thomas probably went, this is over. I got to go back to work now. I, I got a life from three years ago that apparently I shouldn't have left because this wasn't it. And I got to go pick up the pieces and try to put it back together because I got bills to pay. I mean, Thomas wasn't old. The disciples weren't old. He goes, I gotta, I've, gotta, I've got a life that I've got to go live now. 
Here's the way I say this. One of the worst things you can do whenever you're in the season of frustration is shift and try to do something else that you did previously whenever God says the story's not done yet. Right? Don't go back to before just because you're frustrated. Just because you're going through a season of difficulty isn't all of a sudden, I need to go back. You keep going forward. Don't go back. Keep going forward. Even when it's frustrated, even when it's difficult, even when things don't look right, you don't go back. You keep going forward. So Thomas, and once again, I'm not even chastising Thomas. I'm not saying Thomas is bad. We've all done it before. We've all, we are no place to be high and mighty and look down on Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas all the time. People talk about Thomas. They don't, in the Bible it says Thomas who was called the twin. We should read it Thomas who was called doubting. Because that's what we, that's like his first name, Doubting, last name, Thomas. That's the way we treat it. His name is Doubting Thomas. His one season of frustration, his one moment of frustration, we allow it to define him to us for the rest of time. Man, how terrible would it be if you were defined by your one moment of frustration? How terrible would it be if you were defined by the moment where you did miss the mark? I'm thankful that people don't, uh, hopefully people don't, define me by moments where I may have missed the mark. I don't want people to define me by my moment of frustration. As a matter of fact, why in the world would we defame Thomas for one moment of frustration when he has a lifetime of faithfulness? You got to remember, it's, it's Thomas. As a matter of fact, whenever you, you go and you, you read in, uh, I, think it's, it's, I think it's John, this is John 20, I think it's John 11. Uh, I think it's John 11 uh, where, where Lazarus is raised. Uh, and in John chapter 10, they're trying to kill Jesus in the same place where Lazarus dies. And Jesus escapes. And then in John 11, Jesus gets news that Lazarus is dead. And he goes, hey, guys, we got to go back. Because Lazarus is dead. I've got something I've got to take care of. And obviously the disciples go, Wait, we just got out of there barely alive, and now you want to go back? They, they try to dissuade Jesus from going back to go minister and do what he's called to do and do what he needs to do. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, is the only one who stands up and goes, we're going with him, and if he dies, we die too. Doesn't sound like much doubt in Thomas's life in that moment. If they're gonna kill him, they're gonna have to kill me too. Thomas church tradition tells us Thomas was actually the one who after this would carry the gospel to the east and would end up being killed and martyred for his belief. And yet we still label him. 2000 years later, oh, doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't doubting, Thomas was just frustrated. Thomas wasn't somebody who wasn't a believer. He was somebody who was going through a rough spot because everything that he had believed and everything that he had put his faith in, everything that he had put his hope in, suddenly felt like it was dashed. Don't, I, I want to, there, there's a couple people in the Bible that I would like to relabel. One of them is Thomas. Thomas isn't doubting. Thomas is full of faith who was going through a rough time. Thomas, the human being, Thomas, the one who had a, had, a, had a rough moment, but is full of faith. I feel that way about we call her the woman with the issue of blood. But why do we define her by her sickness? She's really the woman of great faith. 
She's the persistent woman. She's the woman who pushed through. Don't define her by her issue. Define her by her characteristic that brought her breakthrough. Y'all with me? So this is Thomas. It's, and it's, it's really funny because we really get on, on Thomas. We let Peter off the hook real easily. We define Thomas as doubting Thomas, but we don't call Peter denying Peter. We don't call, that's my next one. We don't call Peter cussing Peter. We can remember when, when we, we forget when, when Jesus was in like his darkest hour, Peter's going, I don't know who the dude is. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter still did it anyways. Jesus gave him advance warning. Peter still fell into the trap. And while he's doing it, he's cussing the whole time. But we don't define Peter by that. But for some reason, we get stuck on Thomas in this moment of frustration. And let me just say this too. Thomas really isn't asking for anything different than what the other 10 have experienced. It's not, which, by the way, the, the 10 when Jesus shows up to them the first time, Jesus doesn't show up because they're having a prayer meeting and their faith manifested him. You know why they're locked up in a house? The text tells us, for fear of the Jews. They weren't locked in this house because they said, guys, this isn't the end, and we're going to pray, and we're going to persevere, and we're going to push through until we get breakthrough. They said, they're going to kill us. We need to go get locked up in a house somewhere and just try to, try to wait this thing out, and maybe when things die down. As a matter of fact, Thomas is the only one who goes, guys, I got, to go. I got a life. I got to go live. Thomas, in one way, is the bravest of the bunch. He left the house. That same if they kill me, Thomas like, listen, if they try to kill me, I got something I can take care of them with. I don't know. There's, Thomas, though, for some reason, wasn't afraid to leave like the other ones were. They were all locked up in the house. They weren't living in faith. Fear, we say it all the time, fear is the opposite of faith. The 10 weren't living in faith, and we don't call, we don't call Matthew the one who hid. They're hiding because they're scared. They're hiding because the future is unclear. And Jesus shows up in the midst of them and says, hey, I'm here, guys. I told y'all I was coming back. What y'all doing locked up in here? Look, here's my hands. Look at my feet. And then, then they were happy. They weren't happy when he just showed up. They were happy when they saw his hands and they saw his feet. And then Thomas goes, I just want to see his hands and his feet. I want to put my hands my finger in his hands and in his side. I want to see it from, I know y'all said it, but I want to see it. I know y'all have never been there before where you've heard somebody else's testimony and you said, well, I want to see it for me. Why do we chastise Thomas for wanting exactly what we all want? To see it for our own lives. And then we label him as doubting. He's not doubting. He's frustrated. And Jesus never rebukes Thomas for his frustration. Well, we've all been there. We've all been Thomas. Let me give you another example, another really good one. In, in Matthew chapter 9, we have, the, we, have, uh, we have the Mount of Transfiguration first. And then immediately after that, they go down into the valley and Jesus is 
met by this man whose son constantly throws himself into the fire and the water, the epileptic boy. And, and let me, I, I want to read this really quick. I actually read this just this morning. I want to read this to you out of the Message Bible, and I want you to really grab hold of this. Matthew 9, uh, it says this. He asked Jesus, asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? Ever since he was a little boy, many times it pitches him into the fire or the river to do away with him, to kill him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. And Jesus said, if, there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth that the father cried, than I believe, help me with my doubts. Then I believe, help me with my doubts. What an interesting statement. Then Jesus says, that, listen, anything's possible if you believe. He goes, well, I believe, help me with my doubts. In other words, what he's saying is, I believe, but I'm still in the process of believing too. And we're all there. If we're real, we believe and we are in the process of believing. We believe and we are overcoming our frustrations. We believe and we are overcoming our doubts. We believe and we are having to tell the flesh to be quiet and listen to the spirit man. We're all there. We've all been there. If you're not there right now, you've been there at some point in your life. And that's okay. We've all been there. We believed for things and felt like the carpet was yanked out from underneath us. We believed for miracles and not seen them manifested in the way we thought they were going to be manifested. We stood believing for something good to happen and we've experienced the opposite. What do you do then? What does God do then? What happens when you're living in the place of frustrated faith? I want you to understand this. Even when you were in the place of frustration, he is still faithful to you. We've heard beliefs and thoughts, and we've all probably said it or expressed it in, in, in some way, that Jesus shows up when we have enough faith. There's like a meter you reach, and then he shows up. Hit a faith level and then he shows up and manifests. But I've already said it. It wasn't the faith of the 10 that caused Jesus to show up the first time. They were inside with the doors locked because they were afraid. Fear is the opposite of faith. And Jesus still showed up. Jesus didn't come to the door and go, Oh, sensing a lack of faith in here, I can't come in this room. Jesus doesn't show up and go, ooh, they haven't fully gotten a hold of the revelation. Can't go in yet. Can't manifest myself to them yet. Can't show up in their life yet. They got to get that faith level a little bit higher before I will show up and deliver them and set them free. Jesus still shows up. And Thomas, here's the testimony from his friends about what Jesus done. Thomas still says, I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, Thomas, we've all done it. We chastise Thomas for this and we do the same thing. We hear the testimony of what Jesus did for our friends and family and then we say, I'll believe it when I see it for me. I'm glad he did it for them, but I'm not sure if he can do it in my life and I'll believe it when he does it for me. Now, I'm not saying that you need to live in that situation all the time, okay? As a matter of fact, faith should stir us. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. The testimony of others should stir us. But can we be real? How many times have you heard a testimony and it made you more frustrated? 
All right, y'all being, some of y'all don't want to raise your hand. How many ever, let's be real. How many ever heard God do it for somebody else and it made you more frustrated because you went, they've been believing for two weeks. I've been believing for 10 years. Why in the world? They got saved three days ago. I've been serving you for 20 years. And we've let that frustrate us. Even when you're frustrated, he will still show up for you. And he's still going to show up in your situation. And that's what happens with Thomas. Thomas shows up. I mean, excuse me. Jesus shows up to the disciples. And the Bible expressly tells us eight days later. Eight days later. That must have been the longest eight days in Thomas's life. Because they've told him, Jesus is alive. And Thomas goes, well, I believe it when I see it. But I'm one of his disciples. I followed him. Certainly, the way he just showed up for them, he's going to do it for me. Like in three, two, one and a half, one and a quarter, one. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And days pass. And at a certain point, I even think Thomas probably a certain guy to go, those dudes are lying. This is the meanest trick anyone has ever played on anybody. This is just wrong for them to do me like this. Right? Where's Ashton with the cameras? I'm on punked right now. I don't know what's going on. But this whole thing is just off. Eight days later. Jesus shows up. Listen, just because he doesn't show up on day one doesn't mean he's not going to show up. Just because it's day two doesn't mean he's not going to show up. Thomas literally goes 11 days from the time Jesus is crucified till the time that he sees him. Sometimes uh, Jesus is alive and he's working, but sometimes him showing up in your situation comes a lot later than you would, you would want it to be. But he still shows up. He still shows up. That, that's... Listen, if you want an alternate title for this, you could call it, He Still Shows Up. Because Jesus still shows up in the midst of your situation. Jesus still showed up for Thomas, despite his doubting, despite his frustration, despite his difficulty, Jesus still shows up. And what I want you to see is your season of frustration isn't something that's going to run God off. As a matter of fact, your frustration oftentimes becomes the door by which he enters. Here's the way I say this. Thomas didn't have to fix his frustration for Jesus to show up. Jesus showed up to fix the frustration of Thomas. I'm going to say that again. I want you to get it. Thomas didn't have to fix his frustration for Jesus to show up. Jesus showed up to fix the frustration of Thomas. Jesus isn't waiting for you to get it all together, believe perfectly, have your life perfectly in order, never have any sort of difficulty or, or something you're having to push through and persevere through to show up in your life. Should you be working on those things? Yes, absolutely. Should you be working on your believing? Absolutely. Should you be working on your confession? Absolutely. But there's not a checklist that you have to get it all right before he shows up. Up. He shows up anyways. While you're in process, he still shows up. While you're growing, he still shows up. While you're still frustrated, he shows up. There's no indication that Thomas's frustration got any better before Jesus shows up. As a matter of fact, I would probably just, knowing human beings, 
probably think it got worse over the course of those eight days and he's not showing up. Let me put, can I give you, can I give you a word, a, a, a application that we probably all have lived through at some point to make it really come home for us? How many ever got a word about something turning around in your life, right? About God doing something powerful. Either God spoke something to you, you've got a prophetic promise, whatever it might be. It's going to turn around. It's going to change. It's going to be great. God's going to cause complete reversal and turn around in the situation. And then eight days passes, <laughs> figuratively speaking. Sometimes those eight days is a lot longer than eight days. And it hasn't shown up yet, right? You shout when the word comes. Yes, it's about to change. And three months later, when things look worse, we're not shouting as much. Even though you should be waging a war with that word that went over your life, we are still battling through frustration even while waging a good warfare with the word. So listen, you don't have to get it all right for him to show up. He's going to show up in spite of your frustration. So here's what I really want to say to you. Come on, man. If you're in a place where you've been frustrated, Jesus is still going to show up. If you're in a place where you're asking, where are you, God? Jesus is still going to show up. Your frustration is going to be a door by which he shows up in your life. I still believe in your frustration that Jesus will show up for you just like he showed up for Thomas. I still believe in the midst of your situation, he's not going to let you down because he didn't let Thomas down. I still believe he's the one who left the 99 to pursue the one, and he will do it for you as well. You might be frustrated, but he is still pursuing you. He still cares about where you are, and he's still going to bring you through. So listen, this is a very elementary principle, but I want you to understand this. Jesus loves you. He cares about you where you're at, and he's coming to bring you out of your frustration into fulfillment and into purpose. Will you stand up to your feet this morning? I just want you to lift your hands to heaven. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. I just want you to pray with me today. Say, Father God, I thank you today that you are a God of miracles, and you are still showing up for me. Even when it's been difficult, even when it's been hard, even when I've been frustrated, that you will still show up. I believe, Jesus, that you are the God of turnaround, that you are the God of miracles, that you are the God of restoration, and you are turning my frustration into fulfillment. You are showing up, and you are doing exactly what you said you were gonna do. I thank you for it today. I give you praise. I give you glory in Jesus' name. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.